the thing that I've been able to do really well is to implement ideas really quickly. So just take one thing, the one standout, the one aha, and make sure it's implemented into your business or implemented into your life within 40 hours. Mm-hmm. So if you can do that, you're just always moving forwards. Uh, don't sweat the small stuff. And at the end of the day, everything is small stuff. And uh, shy kids don't get sweets. Don't be afraid to ask for help and guidance, et cetera. Because again, people, especially Brits, we show like shy. We show like, you know, you've got to keep ourselves to ourselves. Don't ask for help. And I feel like those things have definitely helped me to take briefly to like these next levels and next steps along the way. This is the Fit Investor Podcast, where we talk about how to live a more holistic life of being fit, not only financially, but physically and faithfully. We'll be joined by experts in all these areas to share their experiences and actionable and practical tips so that you can be a fit investor too. So now let's join our hosts, Kale Delaney, Wesley Whitehead, and Brenna Carls. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of The Fit Investor. I'm your host, Kale Delaney, here with the formerly bearded man, Mr. Wesley Whitehead. Oh. And Brenna, the squat PR champion, Carls. Yeah. <laughs> And today we're excited because we have Mr. Mark Simpson or Mr. Boosley himself on the podcast. So Mark got to start out in the heart of Scarborough near the bustling tourism of the Yorkshire coast and his journey into the world of hospitality commenced at an early age. At five years old, he was intimately involved in the operations of his family's enchanting farm, the granary. And as a child, he developed an enduring passion for football, specifically Liverpool football club which steered him towards a career as a soccer coach, actually, in the United States. So his international experiences fostered a spirit of exploration, leading him to traverse the globe before diving headfirst into the marketing realm. And in 2012, he seized the opportunity to modernize the granary by digitizing its traditional offline operation. And over five years, he bolstered the farmstay's web visibility, ranking it among TripAdvisor's top three properties. Identifying a need in the market, Mark founded Boostly in 2017, which is an online academy committed to empowering hosts with the necessary tools, tactics, and training to optimize their profits via direct bookings. Recognized as one of the top 20 most influential people in the vacation rental industry globally, Mark aims to assist 1 million hosts to reduce their dependence on OTAs and enhance their direct bookings. In 2023, Boostly won the coveted Best Website or Absolution at the Shorties Awards. And to date, Boostly websites have generated over 30 million in direct bookings over the past 12 months for their clients. So with that, Mr. Mark Simpson, Mr. Boosley, welcome yeah, to the you, Fit Investor. You read that first time really well. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> and I appreciate you taking the time. I know it's late over on your side of the pond there. So thank you for taking the time to join us. Absolute, absolute pleasure. I know it's, we've had this booked in for a few weeks. So I'm glad that we were able to make it happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mark, we've had a little bit of a, an interesting background and journey from growing up on a bed and breakfast, more or less, to traveling the world, teaching football or soccer, and then back to your parents' farm stay and now Boosley. So why don't you just take us back a little bit and run us through your journey a little bit and how this all came about? Yeah, I mean, the bio says a lot, but there's like gaps we can definitely fill. So when when I was born on like this 200 acre farm and where I'm from is from a town called Scarborough. So if, as you can tell from the accent I'm over in England and the, the northeast of Scarborough is actually the second most touristed destination outside of London. So not a lot of people know that. Everybody thinks like Edinburgh or Manchester or, or wherever, but it's actually in the northeast here. And so one in three houses is like some form of hospitality. I, it's either a bed and breakfast or a rental or whatever. So it's very touristy. But when 
in the nineties, when my parents had this farm, there was a foot and mouth crisis going through the country and like farms were going out of business because all of their livestock were having to get destroyed because of it. And they had this foresight to go, you know what? We're not just going to go under, we're going to pivot the business slightly. And so they knocked down a barn and they turned that into a four bedroom guest house. And this is, I'm like three or four at the time. So I'm very like new, all of this is happening. And this is like before farm stays was even popular. Like now, any farm that you go to in the UK, and I guess it's pretty much like in America as well, in Canada, it's like there's, a, there's an element of hospitality, glamping or holiday cottage or whatnot. But back then it was like really new. And so they had an amazing like foresight to do that. And I was just so used to growing up in my early years, just having like strangers in the house all the time that these four rooms were always full. And this is before social media. This is before OTAs. This is before any of that. And it was literally was word of mouth and like newspaper ads. That's how they got people to keep coming back. And it got really popular. Those four rooms very quickly turned into 14 rooms. And when I came back from coaching in 2011, 2009, after being in London for a few years, that's when I came in, in into the business. Outside of traveling to America, I also went traveling East as well. So I went to Asia and Australia, did like the backpack around there and had an amazing time doing it. So definitely traveling has always been in, in my blood, really. And like when I fast forward a little bit, when I met my wife, she had, she was born in Johannesburg, she's a Brit and had a lot of years like traveling around other countries as well. So when we had an opportunity in 2016, when we came out of the family business, and I just started Boostly. And the whole reason for Boostly is that I wanted to do something that was like 100% virtual, where I'd done the years in the hospitality, cleaned all the bunk beds that we wanted to clean and yeah, dealt with all the guests we wanted to deal. Because like by the time that we left that business, there was thousands of people coming for every single year. It wasn't just a guest house. It was holiday cottages. It was a restaurant. It was a wedding venue. Very popular like destination. And so we're, when we're able to sell the business and exit, retire the parents, which was great. We wanted to do something where we could have a business, have a career, but also travel. That was like the whole goal. So we sold all of our property that we had back in the UK, just picked up and we had two kids at the time. We've now got four and we started traveling. And that was just as Boosty was starting to get off the run and, and popular. And it, it literally just started as a Facebook group. That's literally all it was. Just a Facebook group called the Hospitality Community. Just I was just wanted to show up in there every day and just provide help and support. And then before I knew it, it turned into a thousand members very quickly. And then Boosley got going and we started to help host when it comes to direct bookings. And nobody in America had a clue who I was. And it wasn't really until Clubhouse. Do you remember that app, Clubhouse? Yeah. That's where Boosley in the States started to get a bit of traction because I would just show up on this app and there's a lot of people in, a, in America on using the app. And I started talking with this weird accent <laughs> about things like direct bookings and calling out Airbnb. And yeah, and, and that's really where the growth came from. And then 2022, when Bill and Mike invited me to Nashville to speak on stage at the SDR Wealth event, that was like another big like launch pad in like the Boostly trajectory. And now what, 2023 and yeah, it's, it's gone, it's gone really well. My mission is to help 1 million hosts. That's it. 1 million hosts get educated and build their business without on the Airbnb land. And that's what we're striving for every single day, working towards that through website design, through training and all those cool things and everything that we can do in between. So. Yeah, thank you for having me on. And that's where we are today, 2023. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Now, lots to unpack. I'm curious, frankly, because you started growing up on this bed and breakfast, 200 acre farm, which I think is awesome. And then how did this turn into doing the traveling for the coaching for the soccer? 
So growing up, it was like a tiny village. So I wasn't even in the main town of Scarborough. I was in this tiny village where it was like population, a hundred people max, really small. And I wanted to do one thing and that was escape. <laughs> and I really <laughs> wanted to be a soccer player. I really wanted to be a football player, but I'm crap at playing football. So I, I fell into coaching and I got my coaching qualifications. I got my coaching badges. And at one of these coaching badge qualifications, there was a, a poster on the wall that said, would you like to spend five months in America coaching football? And I was like, yes, I would love to do that. <laughs> I applied got through to the final stages, got accepted. And before I knew it, 2002, I was flying over to where did I, Nashville. My base was Nashville for the first year. Yeah. And it's not so Nashville, Memphis, you have a big C, Memphis, yeah. <laughs> Bill Street. I just remember Bill Street. I remember there was a lot of partying in Bill Street outside of the coaching. So that was basically me for four or five months. Uh, and then I went back and I was like, that was amazing. I got to travel to Louisiana, Alabama, Arkansas, places I'd never even heard of, right? Growing up, I was like, right in there. And it was amazing. And so that just kept being me every year. I would get my visa again, my H1 visa, come over, have an amazing time, go back to the UK, do coaching back in the UK and just kept on coming back. And that was me for seven years. Wow. But I would go to different places. I'm really lucky. I've been able to travel to pretty much every state wow. in, in the US through doing it. Got to meet a lot of amazing people. That's awesome. So then what transitioned you out of that? I and mean, why did you stop? I didn't get my green card. I didn't get <laughs> <laughs> basically to get like a proper visa you had to have a semi-professional playing background in the uk which i never had and it got to like 2008 and i was like i'm coming up to what 25 and i was like i can't keep doing this i can't keep living like a college student who's <laughs> going backwards and forward. i've got to do something so 2008 2009 that's when i properly was back in the uk and me and my friend were sat in a pub and this is the guy that i've been traveling with a lot as well but what are we going to do so we just thought, let's just do what everybody does and let's go to London. And so we got in a train pretty much a couple of months later, went down to London and I felt that's where I fell into sales and marketing. That's where I really learned social media. This is when Twitter was really big and Facebook was big and Instagram was starting to get big and all of those. And I just learned how it all worked, how marketing worked, social media marketing, review marketing, et cetera. And, mm -hmm. and then yeah, the company that I was working with was called Quipe, Q-Y-P-E, but then they were acquired by Yelp, the big review website. So yeah, basically working for them. And then the thing about hospitality or the thing about where I was grew up anyway, it's like this magnet. It draws you back eventually. And in 2011, that's when my parents, I'm the eldest of four. Okay. And my parents wanted one of me or my siblings to come into the business to help run it because they'd been doing it for about 25 years at this point. They were looking to retire and they needed like young blood to come in and get it all digitalized, get it all online, get it listed on these sites and to do all those things. So yeah, that's how it went from escaping to them being like dragged back in. <laughs> very nice. Very nice. But like you said, you started then after you got things going with the granary and digitized and everything, you moved into creating Boostly, which now gives you the ability to run it virtually, right? So that you can get back to your traveling and things like that. So how does that work out now? Does it work out like you envisioned? Are you able to travel as much as you want or what's that like? The business side, yeah, 100%. The one thing that we didn't equate for was the school inside. So here in the UK, they are pretty strict at keeping the kids in. You can't just, we used to live in Spain, for example. We spent two and a bit years in Spain in a little town called Javier. And you could take kids out of school there willy-nilly. They never even batted an eyelid, but in the UK... Not so much. And our Alfie, our eldest now, he's 10. He's getting into pretty important schooling years. 
And so we moved back to the UK so that he could have like his British education and get sorted and all of that lot and get like a base. So you can start with a group of solid of like friends and that, that's been us for the last year. And we're really happy. So the way that we do it now is we're based here for the majority of the year. And then when it's the school holidays, for example, we've got our school holidays happening next week. I know in the US, you break up a lot sooner than us, but we're about to have a six week break now. So when we're on those six weeks, that's when we go and explore, we go and travel and, and check things out. So it was flipped it a little bit, but yeah, very lucky to still have the ability to be able to, to do the traveling whilst doing all these cool things and running the business. Your question, how many hours a week do you put into working on Boostly? A general working day will be Mondays when, the, when basically Mondays, my get stuff done day. So I start at nine, I'll stop at three to go and get the kids from school. And then I'll start again after dinner about five o'clock and I'll go late because majority of the time I'm doing like podcasts like we're doing now or webinars, et cetera. And the majority, bizarrely seeing that in 2020, nobody in the US really heard who I was. Majority of our customers and clients, members are all in the States now and in Canada. So Monday's the day that I do most of my podcast recordings and all those sort of things. And then Tuesday and Wednesday, I just work at a 12 till three, 12 till three. And then that's it really. That's pretty much how my work looks. The only upset, the only sort of break in that is that nine o'clock, nine o'clock on Tuesday and Wednesday, and potentially sometimes Thursdays, which is where we are now. If I've got a message from a Kale Delaney saying, Hey, do you want to jump onto a podcast? <laughs> this is because I get the kids to sleep. So the kids are all asleep now. This is like perfect. This little hour is ideal because I can jump on and do a podcast or get any like last minute bits of work done. So yeah, it really has been trimmed back um, because now on Thursdays and Fridays, I like to spend that with, uh, we've got a little baby now. So she's 10, 11 months, 10 months coming into 11 months. And yeah. uh, our little four-year-old, he's just about to start school. He doesn't go to school on a Friday at the moment because he's still in like that nursery phase. So we call it Frankie Friday and we always try and do something. So it's, it is really much, this has been set up around the family, around traveling, which we're really lucky to be able to do. So three kids, is that, did I count correctly? Four. Oh, Alfie's 10. Charlie, who is seven, Frankie was four, and little Rosie, who's like nine, ten months. Wow. So there you go. Wes is up there with you as well with kids. I still got so, beat. I got one more, so I, I got you beat. I'm <laughs> oh, serious. You've got five. Yeah. Wow. What is the split between boys and girls? So I got three three girls and two boys. Wow. So I got a couple of weddings I gotta save for. <laughs> so let me ask you this. Do you have so how many do you have properties in the UK? And then if, do you have properties in the United States? I have zero properties now. The granary was like, we, when we exited that, I was thinking about the next move. But just as I was thinking about the next move, Boostly just took off. Now, Boostly now is 45 members of staff. We've got nearly 2,000 clients. It has grown to being this behemoth that I never envisioned that it was going to be. Which is amazing, which is so like lucky to be in this position. But my whole focus for these next 18 months are going to be just solely on, on growing this to where it can be yeah. fully clockwork. And as soon as we get it to fully clockwork, there's still like some things that I need to do to get it to clockwork. And when it is, we'll be able to take some capital out and start to looking at properties again. But right mm -hmm. now, Boostly is like that for these next 18 months. Boostly is like the focus at the moment. With growing so fast... How did you handle that? So you were just doing this thing on the side that you were doing. It was a Facebook group initially. And to grow that fast, there's no way that you're not overwhelmed at some point. Speaking from personal experiences, unless like you're just a really like 
different person and can handle all of that all at once. So how did you handle the overwhelming parts of where your business tripled overnight or quadrupled? And how did you put those systems in place to become 45 employees as opposed to just you and your family? Yeah. That's why he doesn't have any hair. <laughs> now that's the kids. <laughs> it's weird as you're going on this journey, nothing, especially when it's first time around, this is my first business that I've had. It's, it very is much just make it up as you go along. I've documented every single step of the way. When, funny thing is when I first started Boostly properly in 2017, I did a daily vlog, a proper like Casey Nice, that daily vlog. And I did a thousand vlogs, pretty much like three years just before COVID stopped it. And it was crazy because that was like really documenting like the, the true sort of what was going on and all the things that I was doing. Like I was getting up silly early in the morning. I thought, because I read that Tim Ferriss book, that four hour work week. And I was watching those YouTube videos where it's like, get up really stupid early, get up at five o'clock in the morning, crack out your four hours of work and you're done before nine. I was doing all of that. And that is when it was, as it was all growing. And it's weird things. And I've been trying to reflect on this because it's a really good question. I've been asking these questions like myself. And it's like things just seem to come at the right time, whether it's a book or whether it's a course or whether it's a person or whether it's like part of a mastermind that you have with somebody in there, things just come across at the right time. And Boostly was literally built for the first, I would say the first three years, just making up as we went along. I classed that from 2017, 2020, no real systems and structures. I didn't even know what SOP stood for. And then I discovered the clockwork book by Mike McCallowitz. I listened to it on a, a, an airport trip. So I had to go take my, my parents to the airport. I there and back listened to it. And I was like, wow. On the back of that, I then did their program, which was run like clockwork. And it was truly at that point, I was like, wow, we've got, we are so un overwhelmed here because it was at that point we had me, we had our CTO who I met in Bali while traveling. And then we had one or two members of the team in the Philippines who were doing support and development of the websites. Like the one same person was doing support and development. <laughs> and luckily he is like a robot. Um, he's unbelievable. I don't think I've, I'll ever meet anybody like our team member Aldrin. And, but he was just doing it. And I was like, we can't, because, and just as we're getting to this point, we're getting so many people starting to see what we're doing. Cause we, we started to add in these new features and stuff like API integrations and all these cool things. And as soon as we started doing, that's when we started getting the attention from like big property managers as well. And we were just like, me and Tom were just taking the sales calls and we're just like, yeah, come on, it'd be great. And we we're like really undercharging as well. So they were like, this is a steal, this guy, he's underpricing the business. And it got to a point where it was like, wow, yeah, this is too crazy. We've got too much things on this and too much things on that. And, and then clockwork just came along at the right time. We're able to very clearly have systems and structures in place. It doesn't call them SOPs, he calls them IPOs. We could, we figured out for anybody who's not read the book, I really do recommend it because it will talk about queen bee roles and all of those things. And we're able to identify everything. And then by, it's weird. You, once you've got the systems and structures in place and you've got a really unique and structured hiring process, SOPs and everything, then it just makes life so much easier. And then when we went out to hire, I found a company that was specialized in hiring people in the Philippines. We started to build out a real big Filipino base, which, which was great. And yeah, we're able to not having one person be a Swiss army knife, try and do all of those things. Yeah. We have somebody with a zone and center of excellence. And it's weird. I always bring it back to soccer because when you've got a soccer team and you need to fix it, you don't just try and change the attack, the midfield, the defense all at once. You do it 
in little segments. You'll go, okay, I need to fix the attack first. Then I'll fix the midfield and the defense. And with us, it was like, let's fix the support first. That was defense. So then we keep our customers happy. Then let's go and fix the actual development side, the project manager side. And then finally it was sales because we identified the bottleneck. And this was like 2021. So it was only the year before last. We realized the bottleneck was with sales. It was just me and Tom doing it. And I'm going to be a CEO and he's going to be a CTO. He's not a salesperson, really. I'm, I'm, I'm not really a salesperson. And it was we're like, let's go and hire. And so we found some really cool salespeople and they've been with us now for a while. And we've discovered a program called Closers, which is Cole Gordon and whatnot. And yeah, it's just weird. Books, training, people, companies, they just seem to come along at the time when you, when you, when looking back in retrospect, you need them the most. And sometimes you don't even realize. So how, because you mentioned previously that you started this with the intent in mind of being able to build it around the family and traveling and that type of thing. How did that play out, especially in the early years when, like you said, it was overwhelming. You're figuring out it out as you go. You're a one man or two man show. Was there a period where you just had to buckle down and say, okay, we're going to make some sacrifices for this period to get this thing up and running. And then this is how we're going to transition or just yeah. what, what was that like? Yeah, no, definitely. I'll, yeah, there's so many times at the start as well when you're just getting it going i think there's a big reason why majority of businesses eight out of ten businesses fail after a few years because you are literally figuring out as you go you have an in mind of what you're going to do when i first started out it was one-on-one coaching what was even coaching i was doing the work so i'd go into a business in the scarborough area i would say i will take over your your booking.com your airbnb your listings i'll take over your website i'll do your email i'll do everything for you and I was charging such a low rate <laughs> for doing that. And I thought, if I can get five people to pay me this amount every month, that's amazing. But then the problem is with that, when you go down that model is you've got the feast and famine. So you may have five customers one minute, but what happens if three of them drop out or two of them drop out and say, oh, we're not going to use your services anymore. Then you've literally lost like nearly 50% of your customer base. And so I was like, well, I can't deal with this feast and famine mode. And plus as well, when we were doing that, we just started traveling, me and the family. 2017, we went to Bali, India, and Thailand, Cambodia for like over three months. Oh, wow. And I was like, yeah, let's, I can do this while abroad. It'll be, fan- it'll be fine. It'll be fantastic. It didn't work. When I got back, all three of them were like, you're gone. <laughs> so I was like, okay, this is crazy. I can't keep doing this feast and famine. What's, what can I do? And I looked around and I saw people were doing like the one to many model, which is the coaching, like the, you've got courses and things like that. So I was like, everything that I'm doing, I could easily record on a loom video or whatever it was at the time, put it together, put it in a training program like Kajabi and just sell access to that, like 40 pound a month or whatever. And very lucky at this point, the hospitality community had over a thousand people in there. And I just put the message out and saying, listen, I'm thinking about creating this course. I just need five people to test it. Who would like to give it a go just for like a low cost? And five people put their hand up instantly. The first five other people to test it. And that's where the first proper true growth came by flipping to that model, because it wasn't so much me having to do the work all the time. It was very much just record videos, put it in the vault, right. build a community. That's where the team Boostly was called the Boostly Academy. People came into there. And then it was, it was that part. But during that changeover stage, my gosh, there was days where, you know, especially when I got the first tax bill coming, I didn't think about this thing called tax. <laughs> no one, no, no one ever tells you about that. And I, there was no put aside for that. I remember that first coming in and I was like, oh my gosh, 
that's like literally a year after you get started. And there's so many times where you're just like, wow. And you just, again, you just buckle down and I don't know. It's, I think this is a, like an entrepreneurial thing. It could be like a, a whatever thing. It's like where you just get it done. I think it's a hospitality thing. I always say like when you're doing hospitality and you've got guests and you've got things that are breaking, things not working, you just end up, you just end up getting it done. And there's so many times where I was talking to my friends who are out in hospitality or talking with family and stuff and about this that happened with a guest or a guest who did this or X, Y, and Z. And they're just looking at you like in disbelief. And it's just, what do you do? So we just got it done. And that's just, that's like typical of I think growing up in that. And I think I've definitely taken those skills that I've learned from all of those years doing that and into this, just roll up your sleeves and get the work done. Yeah. And I'm glad you share that because we like to be able to show our audiences the behind the scenes and what it's like when you make that transition into entrepreneurship, because it is, it does come with a lot of surprises, especially if you're not coming from that background, if you're coming from a W2 or an employee type of background, and then you transition into entrepreneurship, all of a sudden there's a lot of things that you don't know and you don't know what you don't know. And then once you get into it, it can be extremely overwhelming, can be discouraging. And like you said, that's probably a big reason why a lot of businesses fail in the first few years, because you get into those patterns and you're, you don't know how to handle things and you just become overwhelmed and you give up, right? And we like for our audience to be able to hear about that and somebody successful like yourself who's built a company now that uh, maybe it's not fully on the clockwork like you want, but it's getting there to the point where you can structure your schedule, you can focus your life around the family and around your kids and start to be able to travel more and see that there is light at the end of the tunnel. You may need to buckle down for a period of time and put in the work, but understanding that there are going to be those stages in the life of the business and in your life in general. Uh, yeah. So yeah. I appreciate you, you sharing that. And uh, I think it's, I think it's important as well that you go into it with a very strong conviction or we say a strong why that you're doing it, right? Because that's, what's going to get you through those first few years of where it is a struggle. So what was your why? What was it that was keeping you going? It started off to be that I wanted to make sure that I was spending as much time with Laura, my wife, and the kids as possible. I wanted to do 99% of the school runs. And the reason being is like growing up, my father was a Yorkshire farmer. He literally left the house at five. He got in very late, so barely saw him. And obviously with the mom having the, the bed and breakfast business, the tea rooms, again, didn't really see, they see much. And then when me and Laura came into the business, we were like ships passing at the night sometimes where I'm doing split shifts and again, not getting to see Alfie, our eldest as much. And so when Charlie was born in 2015 and when Boothley started going in 2016, the whole goal and the whole reason, the whole why was to start something where I don't want to be like traveling, not seeing the kids every single week, going to all the conferences and all of those things. I've made a very clear point of that. I want to spend as much time as possible here. That's why I set all of these rules and perimeters to make sure that's the case. And so we have those rules and we have those things in place, like the non-negotiables, basically. Mm -hmm. That's why I only, if I am going to leave for a conference, I only ever do free a year. And we've got a set rule that if I do go, for example, to Nashville, which we did for the week after, we all go on holiday. Because then obviously when I'm away, it messes up our whole routine, day-to-day -day routine. As much as like me being away is like a big toll as well, as much as fun as it is, like very tiring when you come out to an event and whatnot. And that was the whole why. And I'm very lucky that all the way through, even when it was like literally paycheck to paycheck, paying bills, didn't know where bills were going to get paid. That was the case. I was doing, spend as much time as I can with the family and whatnot, working around that. And then as this has gone on, 
and this has become a bit more popular, it feels like we can actually make a difference now in the industry. So the why is, like I say, the mission is that 1 million hosts, mm. I can help 1 million hosts get educated in all of this to grow their business without relying on airbnbbooking.com. And then in turn, those 1 million hosts can then educate their guests. Then we could actually get a foot at the table at these OTAs potentially go together as like the, a big group, the book direct movement and start to get, who knows, better commission rates, better perks. Because I can see the other side. I can see what happens if we don't do this. I can see what happens, which is not a nice sort of forecast for the future if we don't. So and no one else is doing this, not collectively anyway. So it'd be, uh, that's now the wise is to make sure that we can actually not make a mark. And if we can make a mark on this industry where it's long lasting, then that's it. That's amazing. No, I like that. One thing I'm curious about, and you gave us a little bit of an overview of your kind of your day and your week schedule and everything, but. I'm still trying to figure out how that makes sense and how that works because you are everywhere in your communities. You're very active in those. You're doing podcasts, you're doing trainings, you're doing seminars, you're doing all these things. How do you find that time or how do you make that time to be so ever present in the industry, but still maintain that core value in putting the family time first? Yeah. So I work smarter, not harder. So <laughs> I can get done in a couple of hours, what most can get done in an eight hour day. And that's not by flicking a switch. That's years of practice. That's six or seven years. Again, I read that Tim Ferriss workbook, that four hour playbook, workbook, whatever he called it, four hour work week, sorry, years ago when I first got going. And everything that I have done has been geared up for that to be uber productive with everything that I do so that I can get done in a very small amount of time, what most take eight, 10 hours a day to, to get done. And it's been done on purpose. So I look like that. I am absolutely everywhere, but I do have a team that posts mm. absolutely everywhere for me. I just record one piece of content and that one piece of content can get split out into multiples. So it looks like that I'm posting on every single social media channel every single day. Really, I only ever post on Instagram stories. That's me. If you see an Instagram story, that's me. Everybody else is somebody else doing for me. That includes, that, that includes now threads and TikToks and everything. So what makes it look like I am absolutely everywhere. I'm on every single channel doing all of the things. Really in retrospect, I've just used Instagram because Instagram is the only really account, I, social account I actually like and I actually like using. Hey guys, it's Brenna Carl, CEO and co-founder of The Mortgage Shop. When I'm not spending my time searching for the best pizza in town, working out because of pizza, or fighting sharks as Kale likes to say, I spend my time educating clients on the best investment products that will help them build generational wealth and making sure their loan process is as smooth as warm butter on a piece of toast. Call us today to get started with your investment journey at 800-816-7982 or talk more about pizza. Talk to you soon. So yeah, there's, it's, there's things that I've been put in practice and in place and I've been doing this. I've had somebody that's been with me since 2016. And she's helped massively in like making things get out and all the things and everything else is automation. Interesting. So do you have more client base in the UK or do you have more client base now in the United States that you're known here? It's so funny. I'm now, we've now got nearly 40% more in the US than <laughs> what we do in the UK, which is crazy. Maybe it's the accent. I don't know. <laughs> Just makes you sound smarter. That's it. I think so. Here I sound big, <laughs> but obviously in America. <laughs> There you go. But That's yeah, awesome. I, I, I honestly think the reason why is because of COVID. Because mm. during COVID, everybody could just take a pause and like a, a quick refresh on the business. 
Yeah. And obviously things were going on within Airbnb where before it was just Airbnb was the golden book right. and it was listed there, happy days. But then things starting to happen as like a chink in the armor, especially when they went on their IPO and they got listed on the stock exchange. Obviously their whole mindset and methodology changes drastically because they no longer can be the happy host centric business that they were prior. They have to now look after shareholders first, guests, a social preference. And because of that, things started to happen. It wasn't like one big thing. It was loads of little things. And what I noticed, especially during like the clubhouse rooms, is that people will start going, what is a property management software? What's a PMS? What is, what is there outside of Airbnb? I'm not going to spend all this time and effort growing a business that is reliant on one channel, one platform to, to, to drive me revenue. And I was just right place, right time to be known as the book direct guy. And that's where people started to gravitate towards us. And there's just a few little things that I had done that just meant that I was just like in that vision at the right place, right time. Interesting. So for listeners like that haven't gotten into this yet, when you have a rental, you can list it on places like Airbnb and VRBO and, or Verbo, I guess you call it for short. And you probably just heard of them, right? Or you've heard of maybe booking.com that has come up. but there's a movement lately that has happened where you don't need those booking softwares. You can direct book, which will allow you to give cheaper rates to your guests because you aren't paying that hosting fee of Airbnb or VRBO. And you're able to connect with them directly, like Airbnb and Verbo and all that stuff. You can't, a lot of times there's certain things they won't even let you put, like you won't even send if you put in your phone number or something for them to contact you, things like that. And while I recommend keeping your communication on the platforms, whichever one you're on, it's more of a warmer welcome. You can offer discounts for returning guests through your self-managing platform. And that's what he's talking about of being able to, yes, you might already self-manage, but then take it a step further. What if Airbnb and VRBO both come down one day and you don't have any other way to get your clients, or I'm not clients, guests booked? And so that's, I think that's like a genius thing because I don't think many people even think of that. What if both of those just go down and it's somehow we can't use those platforms anymore or they raise their rates and fees where it's not profitable anymore. And I just wanted to explain that for people that are listening that do not have properties quite yet. Yeah. And for those people as well who don't have properties yet, or maybe I'm bothered, everyone's going to look to go on a vacation or a staycation. So if you're looking to book a place, by all means, start your search on Airbnb. Have a little look to see if you can find their website or their phone number, because if you can contact them directly, you'll end up saving money. So even if you're not in this game, if you're not in short-term rentals, if you're just listening because you've got property, et cetera, and you're looking at the other aspect, when you're going on your next vacation, try doing that because you'll save money a lot of the times. Yeah. So let's jump back to the personal side a little bit. And I mentioned, of course, that we talked about your experience teaching the soccer. You obviously have a love soccer or football. What do you do nowadays in terms of, we talk about the physical fitness and how, yeah. so what do you do nowadays? Are you still involved in that or tell us about that? Yeah, I am still active, very active. I like to keep fit. I like to keep active as much as possible. I don't play like semi-pro or professional or a team, but we do have in the village where I live now. So the village I live now is about 400 houses, not men, not a lot, not a lot of people, but enough. And in this one village, it's like you can walk it 10 minutes from one side to the other. And in those 10 minutes, you've got a pub. You've got a school, you've got a sports field. And on that sports field, every Sunday, we get a lot of dads who are like, you're 85 to 45, we meet up and we just play 
uh, rec soccer. It's a lot of fun. Just meet up, have a laugh, have a gig around and just run around. So that's my soccer fix that I get. But outside of that, fitness wise, yeah, every morning I make sure I'm doing my stretches because I'm turning 40 this year. So I want to make sure that I can get up without aches and groans. And then, yeah, I go to the, I go to the gym. We've got a gym that's like literally 10 minutes away from us, which is really cool. And we've got a PT there and go there at least twice a week. And then outside of that is that we've got some, we've got some weights out in the back. And so we lift and stretch and yeah, meditate and do all those cool things just to keep fit. 2017, when again, I was going through all this thing, I discovered this guy called Wim Hof, you know, the breathing. I used to do the breathing for a little bit, but my wife told me off because I was annoying her because I was waking up doing this weird breathing. And (laughs) I stopped doing that. Yeah. So with soccer, what position did you play? When you used to play or now, that what do you prefer? What position or football, I should say? I used to be able to do a lot more running than I would than I do now. I used to be able to just keep running and going. So I would normally, you normally put on the wings if you're going to be doing that. But as I get older, I like to just sit back. So I'm more of a defender now. So I like to be able to just sit at the back and be able to spray balls, etc. So yeah, I'm more of a defender. It's funny, actually, when we mentioned Avery earlier, I got chatting to Avery Carl and she used to be a ferocious goalkeeper. Yeah. And we're chatting about that, which, which was funny. But yeah, I'm more of a defender now. So I'm the one in front of the goalkeeper and she'll be barking orders to me. So that's where I am. I'm at the- I, I had a very small school, so it was janky. I should I don't even know if that's a word, but it was pretty janky because they had a soccer team, but it was like co-ed because they didn't have enough people to do a girl soccer team. So I joined and I was the only girl on the soccer team. And I absolutely hated running. And I can't even tell you what position I played I wasn't that great I think they put me on defense because the guys were scared to be like rough with me on the other team and so it would work in my favor but I guarantee you like I still work out and I guarantee you I would be able to run like one way down the field and then I'd be just like all right give me like 30 minutes and then I can run back on the other side of the field with your strength training normally with players that do a lot of running or soccer football is it more of, what would you call it? What is it when you're like nimble and stuff? I'm losing the word. But Thank not, you. yeah. So not so much like muscle building, but like that agility. Agility is what I was thinking of. Agility. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's loads of, it's funny, the more that I got into America and saw American sports, et cetera, there's loads of, there's loads of skills that you can pick out from soccer that you can put into, say, football or basketball, et cetera. So yeah, a lot of the drills that we would do would be strengthening obviously lower legs etc strengthening to the core and then you don't want the soccer players to be too big because that doesn't really balance out very well it just it's more lean more, more like a thoroughbred if you're going to look at the horse analogy that's what you really want a soccer player to be nice i like that a thoroughbred yeah that's what you want to be because it's true kill right the more muscle mass you have the harder it's your vo2 max is to get because like you have so much muscle mass that you can't get i don't know i don't know the science behind it but basically like a bodybuilder that looks like this would not be able to sprint really fast i don't know you see a lot of the american football players those guys are pretty darn big and yeah there's a lot of stopping in football right so it's a lot of stops that where soccer you are pretty much going right just in the night 90 minutes so it's a different type of build they are built they are built like units, but they're more like a thoroughbred where it's just like you can just go and go at high speed, lots of uh, lots of sharp turns, et cetera. But yeah, you're pretty much just going nonstop. Yeah. When you see somebody walking a dog, like the pug that has breathing problems and it's like a little hefty, that's what I feel like that, that personifies me when I run. Mark, you look like you're a taller guy. So like you would probably 
be like a good fast runner. Used to be. Now <laughs> I run like an overweight dad, but <laughs> yeah, I'm like I'm my go for a run with Brenna now just to see if that's my spirit animal for running is the old pub that has breathing problems because I'm only five feet, so it's a little tough for my little legs. But no, I admire like staying into it because as you get older, you can't hit those numbers that you used to hit. And I like that you still coach and stuff in that way. I feel like it keeps your mind sharp as well for the game. But yeah. then also you're able to get like stress out from mostly like working and you feel accomplished. Do you work out in the mornings before or probably not since you say you, you start with the four hours? Do you work out in the afternoon? Where does that fit in? The reason why on a Tuesday and a Wednesday, I don't start work until 12. So I do 12 till three on a Wednesday because in the morning, that's when I go to the gym, drop the kids off at school and the gym's 10 minutes away. So it's like normally like between those nine and 12 slot, I'll be in the gym. So yeah, so in the mornings, I like to just take time out. And again, yeah, it's nice distraction. The gym where we've got, it's got like a sauna built into it and all those cool things. So after we finish, just to go and sit in there. And the reason why I love going into the sauna or the jacuzzi is that you can't take your phone. Right? You can't take your phone. So there's no distractions. It's just literally do it yourself. And I always find, and it's weird that when you shut your brain down, it's sometimes you come up with your best ideas, which is crazy how it works. I came up with my talk for Nashville in 2022 while being in that, literally in, in that sauna, in that steam room afterwards, just like thinking, just let the brain just flow and stuff. And I came up with my whole talk in that, just sat there. And that's the talk that generated a ton of interest in Boosley afterwards. Yeah. And you talk about meditation. Do you meditate while you're in the sauna or you do that separately? No, separately, not as much as I used to as well. So on, on this Apple Watch, there's like this mindfulness app. Yeah. I'll do that, like breathing, basically. Because to me, all the meditation is really is just breathing, just shutting down and concentrating on your breathing. However, like you, I've done it for years. I did that Calm app where I did it 365 days in a row in all yeah. of that. It boils down to me, what I think it is just literally just listening to your breathing for like an extended period of time. And so now I'll do that. And another form of meditation to me is just writing as well. Like literally just getting a pen and a paper and just writing whatever's on your mind. And I normally will do that first thing in the morning, just after waking up, before the kids wake up. If I feel like there's something, there's loads on my mind and I'll just write and I won't even look at what I'm writing. And I feel like that's a real good way as well to get it like a good form of meditation. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I know we got to wrap it up here. So we'll just jump into the closing here based on what we talked about, whether it's the entrepreneurship or the business or direct booking, et cetera. What are three actionable or practical tips that, that you could leave our audience with? So let's just say entrepreneurial in, in, in general. So number one is done is better than perfect. Massive believer in that procrastination kills all good ideas. An actionable tip that you can do is whether it's from this podcast or any podcast or book or course or YouTube video that you watch, the thing that I've been able to do really well is to implement ideas really quickly. So just take one thing, the one standout, the one aha and make sure it's implemented into your business or implemented into your life within 40 hours. Mm. So if you can do that, you're just always moving forward. Uh, second thing is don't sweat the small stuff. And at the end of the day, everything is small stuff. So again, and the final one is shy kids don't get sweets. Don't be afraid mm. to be afraid to ask for help. Or as somebody said to me in, in America, you should call it shy kids don't get candy. So it's a bit different, but yeah, so don't afraid to ask. Don't be afraid to ask for a testimonial. Don't be afraid to ask for a review. Don't be able to ask for a referral. Don't be able to like afraid to ask for help and guidance, et cetera. Because again, people, especially Brits, we're so like shy. We're so like, you know, you've got to keep ourselves to ourselves. Don't ask for help. And I feel like those three things have definitely helped me 
to take Boothley to like these next levels and next steps along the way. Excellent. I like that saying. Very good. And of course, this will all be in the show notes and everything. But, and now that we know that it's your clones that are doing a lot of the, the posting there besides Instagram, what's the best way for people to reach out to you or to learn more about Boostly? Yeah. If you want to chat, say hi, say we listen to all the podcast, Instagram, send me a DM on Instagram. I'm the one who replies to all of them. I see all of them. I love actually interacting, which is cool. So that's at Boostly UK. And then if you want to go down the route of growing your short-term rental business without Airbnb and want to do a bit of direct bookings, just go to Boostly dot co dot uk so this is a uk domain so dot co dot uk b-o-s-t-l-y dot co dot uk i tried to get the dot com but some bugger <laughs> in america took it years ago so i can't get a hold of it so <laughs> it's boosted uk excellent excellent thank you again mark really appreciate your time and uh, now you guys know if you want to join the direct booking movement check out boostly and mark and he can get you going thank, thank you guys you. very much yeah thank you mark thank you thank you